even though it resulted in a first round playoff exit, I think this 2022-2023 Sacramento Kings season will be a season that we remember and appreciate maybe our entire lives. One man that I know appreciated this return to the playoffs maybe more than anybody else and deserved it certainly more than anybody else was the G-Man, Gary Gerald, Sacramento Kings legendary radio broadcaster. He joins me on this episode of Locked on Kings to recap the amazing season. Plus, he tells the story of what it was like to receive the defensive player of the game chain and celebrate with the Kings in the locker room after a win. You're going to hear that and more right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all off-season long. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. And most of you already know this. I've probably said it a hundred times by now, but any of you who are new to the Locked On Kings podcast understand that I grew up in Sacramento, a diehard fan of the Kings. And I bring that up, not just for me to express that I'm in the same shoes that you are. And, and I understand you to some, uh, to a pretty significant extent. I grew up listening and watching Gary Gerald, the G-Man, do his thing. So to be able to establish a relationship with G that I've had over the last eight or so years, uh, to learn from him, to spend time speaking with him, to have him on the Locked on Kings podcast multiple times, it's like the sixth, seventh, at least, time that he's been on the podcast over the years that I've been hosting is a real treat for me. I'll share this really quick before I get into the interview and then I'll get out of the way and stop talking because I know you want to hear from G and not me. But when I was in college, wrapping up college, and I was interning at the time at, at uh, Sacktown Sports 1140, um, G and I, I asked G to sit down with me. This was at Sleep Train Arena, Arco Arena. Um, and he, I asked him to sit down with me before a game started and if he would do an interview with me uh, for a college paper that I was writing. It was my final paper that I was writing about uh, the the art of storytelling and sports broadcasting. And he spent like almost half an hour with me before the game started just explaining to me and, and, and pouring into me and, and, and giving his advice and, uh, and, and helping be a part of this paper. And he was a huge reason for the success of that paper. And, and in many ways is a huge reason for the success of my career. Um, so I, I, I love and appreciate G in so many ways that I can't possibly express uh, appropriately. Um, so again, this is just a real treat for me to have G on the podcast. Now, shut up, Matt, get out of the way. Let's listen to G man. Here he is uh, talking about this incredible season, his favorite moments, his memories, and make sure you tune in to him telling the story about getting honored after 3000 games, the defensive player, of the game chain celebrating in the locker room, but then also the chaos that happened with weather after that moment, he tells the entire story. It's it's must listen. I hope you enjoy this. I think it's fair to say that all Sacramento Kings fans and those that follow the team deserved for this season that we just got to witness, but maybe nobody more than Mr. 3000 himself, the G-Man Gary Gerald here with me on the Locked on Kings podcast. G, 
what an outstanding season just in general, given the circumstances of everything we've, we've gone through, but for you who have been through every step of the way of Sacramento Kings basketball here in this city, throughout the entire playoff drought, calling a, a good portion of those 3000 plus games of unfortunately losing and, and frustration. I have to imagine this season was in, in some ways, not necessarily a dream come true. Cause that would probably be the championship at the end, but in very many ways, maybe a, uh, a like a Renaissance almost of, of your craft. Well, it, without question, man, it was a revitalization. Um, I think, you know, everybody, everybody got caught up in the spirit of what was happening. Uh, so many areas to, to deliver credit. And it starts with Mike Brown, Monty McNair and, and what they were able to accomplish in a relatively short period of time, in my estimation. And anybody who said they saw all of this coming, they got to be full of it. Uh, I really, I think it took everybody by surprise. And part of it, of course, is the fact that we've been beaten down so many times. We've seen the the coaching merry-go-round and the changes in the staff and ownership and one thing or another so many times it beats you down. And you go into every season with optimism and you're, you're thinking, okay, maybe this is the year. And there were certainly grounds for a lot of optimism with Mike Brown coming in, in my opinion, and to see it come to fruition it was uh, not only unexpected, but it was just, man, it couldn't have come at a better time. What a great lift for everybody. Absolutely. And, you know, both Monty McNair and Mike Brown at different points of the season were, were asked this question that I'm about to ask you. And I'm not going to share what their responses were just in case it might be the same as yours. But was there a moment or a game or anything like that that you said, OK, something special here or something's different here? I don't know if I can specify a specific game, although one does come to mind relatively early in the season. Um, well, two of them. The coming from behind in Cleveland on the road, I think that was, what, maybe December, mid-December, uh, getting 10 consecutive defensive stops to end the game, scoring the final, I think it was 19 points to get the road win. That was a, certainly an indication that, you know, there's there's some good stuff that can happen amongst this group. And I, I think that maybe that might have been kind of the tipping point as far as as far as I'm concerned, because you're starting to think, OK, if you can do this on the road against what I considered at that time to be a quality opponent, then that bodes pretty good for future opportunities. And as I've said many times, Matt, and I've told it to you, one of the things you want to be able to do not only as a broadcaster, but as a fan, as a player, as a member of the organization, is believe that on any given night, in any given arena, you've got a chance to win the ball game, that you're going to be competitive. Just no ifs, ands, or buts. You, I mean, you've gotten to call the Rattle Seattle series, called all the playoffs, the, the great run, of course, 2002, 2003, times like that. The return to the playoffs, the first ever playoff game inside the Golden One Center. Kevin Herter said running out of the tunnel, he got chills, and it's a moment that he'll never forget. What was that like for you? Did you compare it to past playoff experiences, or was it a, a unique experience of its own? I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, inevitably, I think you can't help but compare it because the the atmosphere of former playoff games at the old Arco, particularly the, the showdown series with the Lakers for the conference championship uh, was so off the charts and set such a high standard that you can't help but compare it to that. But by the same token, when, when fans are so starved for some kind of success, 
And we all knew that the atmosphere was going to be just tremendous from the get-go. And the people gathered outside the arena before that first home game, hours before the doors even opened. And in fact, one of the NBA execs who was there told Deuce Mason, said that, you know, he had never seen anything like that, where people were so primed, so ready, couldn't wait to even get in the building. We knew it would be special, but I don't know that we knew how special it would be. And, you know, again, I mean, 17 years is a long, long time. It's basically, it's almost a generation that hadn't experienced playoff basketball in Sacramento. So it was extraordinarily, you know, welcome. And it was extraordinary just in the sense that the energy was palpable. And I know there were a couple of different times in those home games, I would pop my headset off just just to see how loud is this. And then I'd put my headset back on and say, thank goodness I got a headset to wear. (laughs) I have a couple moments during the regular season that I want to ask you about specifically. The first one is uh, most of us watch this game on our television and we're losing our minds. And I can only imagine what this game would have been like had it been in Sacramento. But you were in L.A. for the 176-175 Kings-Clippers game. Some are calling it the best regular season game of all time. The Kings come back from the dead multiple times uh, in that game. What was that experience like for you being in that building, witnessing a a shooting performance like that from both teams, the Kings just refusing to go down and, and fighting all the way through? Just What was that night like from both a fan and broadcaster standpoint? From a broadcaster standpoint, that's what you dream of. I mean, you, you love tight competitive games full of drama, haymaker after haymaker. And a lot of people, I think, that didn't see the game immediately jumped to the conclusion, well, there was no defense played. This was like a glorified all-star game. And they couldn't be any further from the truth Mm -hmm. because this, from the opening tip, this was just really entertaining. And you mentioned the comebacks. The Kings, I think, were down 14 with about four minutes to go in regulation. And then Malik Monk goes out of his mind and and he, (laughs) he triggers that response and the Kings come back and force the overtime. And sometimes we forget in both overtime sessions, the Kings were down as many as six points, and yet they kept coming back, and they found a way to win it. It was beyond extraordinary. It was probably uh, probably the most exciting game that I've been involved in personally, and that's saying a bunch when you look back at some of the playoff history, particularly with the Lakers series in 2002, but I don't know how you could have had a more entertaining night of NBA basketball. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a privilege to be part of it. And, you know, it's it's at the top of the list and it'll be stuck in my memory bank for a long, long time. The other moment that I want to ask you about, it's kind of a compilation of moments. The main one is when you were honored for broadcasting your 3000th game, which is just absolutely incredible. Uh, being one called down to the locker room to be able to celebrate with the the team and and wear the defensive player of the game chain and 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 that I guess I'll start there because I want to ask another part too. But uh, the people want to know two things: one, how heavy is that chain, <laughs> and two, what is that locker room atmosphere like with the the light, the beam, lasers, and everything like that? Because we saw the team pictures after every single win. This group seemed to be such a close knit group. You got yeah. to be a part of that at least for a night after the game. What was both of those like? Well, and again, I, I've used the term extraordinary a couple of times already, and it was certainly so far beyond anything that I would have expected. And, you know, you look at a 3000th game and you say, yeah, this is this is a milestone and I will remember this game. Uh, and thank goodness they won the game. I mean, I, <laughs> I was I was thinking, well, how disappointing would that have been 
you know, with with the various accolades and the recognition and one thing or another had had your team lost. Um, I'm fortunate because I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times, the 1000th game, the 2000th game, the 3000th game that I've done for the Kings, all of those, there's a form of recognition and it's a milestone and you're, you're proud of that, obviously. But in all three instances, the Kings were winners and that makes it all all the better. As to how heavy that chain is, let me tell you, it's the <laughs> real deal. It is heavy. And Jordy Fernandez, I believe, is the one who's credited with coming up with this idea. I don't have the particulars on how it actually came to fruition, who designed it, who made it, uh, but it is extraordinarily heavy. And it's, I mean, the glitter and the glam and one thing or another is real. Mm-hmm. And for that, for that whole situation, in terms of the atmosphere in the locker room, uh, obviously, I knew something was up when I get a text in the fourth quarter, which rarely I get texts or acknowledge during the game. But I happened to catch this one and it said, get to the locker room as quickly as possible as soon as your your broadcast is over. And then I realized as we were lining up, uh, Domas was going to be our postgame guest after that win. And I had no sooner asked him the first question. And I see Shannon Malone down on the floor giving me the wrap it up sign. And I realized that over my shoulder was Paul Johnson, the general manager of the Stockton Kings. And he had been sent up there to escort me to the locker room. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, something really strange is going on here. So we go down there, uh, get to the locker. I didn't, I left all my stuff at the broadcast position um, outside the locker room and kind of peeking in the door and all of the staff members, the medical training staff, one thing or another, all part of the travel party. They're all there. And I'm looking around saying, what's going on? And they are either really good at playing it off or they didn't know. And they said, I, I, we don't know. So, you know, we're kind of collectively sticking our heads in the door in the locker room when, when Jordy makes the announcement about, you know, communication and one thing or another. And we got a guy who's involved in communication in 3000 Kings games, G-Man! and, <laughs> you know, and everybody jumps around you and they got the strobe and the fog and the whole thing going on. And it's just like, Pinch me. This. It, what am I doing here? If anybody who should have been wearing the chain that night, it was Keegan Murray because he had a good game defensively, and I felt like I needed to, uh, I needed to go apologize to him for the fact that some interloper had come in and and stolen his his thunder. Uh, but it was it was just off the charts beyond belief. I was just totally flabbergasted, and uh, it was so memorable on so many different occasions. And I'm so thankful that. There were different folks that took pictures of it so that I can I have that in in my my arsenal of photos over the years and remembrances. And it was uh, it was truly special. And then beyond that, and, I, and I've told the story a couple of times, Matt, forgive me if I'm if I'm repeating myself. No, here, keep going. It wasn't it wasn't just that occasion, because when they taken the pictures and one thing or another and they started to disperse to go to their lockers and coach was standing right behind me and he had a hand on my shoulder and he said, wait, everybody wait up a minute. He said, we got a very serious weather situation that you need to be aware of. We're going to send the first bus to the hotel right now. And the second bus is going to stay. And if you want to go out and shoot or whatever and stay here while this storm front goes through. But we're talking about 90 mile per hour straight wind, uh, straight line winds and possible tornado activity. And some a couple of guys said, well, coach, you know, the hotel is adjacent to the arena. It can't be more than 300 yards away. And he emphatically pointed out, he said, I don't want anybody outside. You're not going to risk, you know, somebody getting hurt because of debris flying one thing or another. 
I saw one of the security guards and he had radar on his phone and I'm enough of a weather nerd that I looked at it and I said, uh, how fast are they saying this is moving? And they, they told me, and I said, so we probably have got 15 to 20 minutes in reality. And he said, he said, I would think so. And so at any rate, I run back upstairs. I get my stuff from my broadcast position and race down. They hold the bus so I can get on. We go to the hotel. No sooner had I gotten in the room and the intercom that goes throughout, you know, every room in the hotel, uh, weather warning, we must have your attention. This is a severe, significant situation. Take immediate shelter. Don't stand near any windows. Go to the interior bathroom in your room and close the doors and, you know, stay in there until this has passed through. And then they were also telling all hotel personnel, take your emergency stations immediately. All services are suspended. I mean, this was the real deal. Wow. And as it turned out, in a matter of minutes, that front came through. And there were a couple of tornadoes that touched down within 10, 12 miles or so of the arena. The tornado sirens are going on, meanwhile, outside. And uh, that made the night all the more memorable. You should have kept the chain on to anchor you down when that wind came in. <laughs> probably, yeah. probably would have kept you down. Like I said at the top of the show, today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. And a lot of times when you're buying tickets last minute, people are panicking or stressing out. They don't know if they're going to be able to get tickets. They don't know if they're going to be able to get good deals. Maybe all the good deals are gone. Not at Game Time. In fact, Game Time provides killer deals and incredible sales on last minute tickets that you won't get anywhere else. I, I've told the story before. Uh, I went when, or when I was in San Francisco covering the Kings and Warriors opening round series, we, we had a day off and I was staying right across the street from Oracle Park. So it's like my wife and I just decided, hey, let's let's go to a Giants game. Uh, and we got last minute tickets through Game Time, got an incredible deal, like $35 tickets to sit about 20 rows up behind the Giants dugout. I mean, it was just an incredible deal. And, and Game Time uh, has all these deals for you. And it's not just for sporting events. They have it for like concerts and for theater shows, comedy shows, whatever it may be. You can get all of that uh, on Game Time. Don't plan months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right now for you. Exclusive flash deals for last minute tickets as well. And you can get images of your seats, where you're sitting, what your view is going to look like. And it's 100% accurate. Plus, if you find a better deal or you find tickets in your row, in your section that are cheaper, game time will uh, will match that or, or refund you 110%, which is pretty incredible. 110% of the difference. So download the game time app, create an account and use code locked on NBA for $20 off of your purchase, uh, first purchase terms apply again, create an account and redeem code locked on NBA for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. The other part of the moment that I, I wanted to kind of tie in. Now, this was separate because this was when you returned back to Sacramento, but you've had such a connection with fans your entire just time here. I mean, I grew up a fan listening to you. You call games, television, and radio, and you do such an amazing job, especially on the radio of, in TV, you see this a lot, let the moment breathe, right? But you mm -hmm. do a great job in radio too, calling the big moment and then stepping aside yourself and Jason and just letting the, the sound around you tell the story. But 
they played a tribute video for you after 3000, you got a standing ovation, everybody turning and, and acknowledging you. I know how much you care about the fans. I know how much you want them to, to enjoy, not just your craft, but enjoy Kings basketball. So what was that recognition to you? What did that mean to you? Well, it, it, it touches you. I mean, it, it goes right to your heart. And, um, you know, when you've experienced as much losing, unfortunately, as the Kings have experienced over 38 years, there were so many seasons when you knew by the time you got just past Christmas, you, you knew that you could start forming your plans for the day after the season ended. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I would say, okay, we'll line up our timeshare down in Carlsbad or we'll go to Tahoe or whatever it's going to be. And uh, we, you know, you could do that without even having to a second thought. So I guess that there are times when you experience so much losing, you genuinely question, I wonder if anybody's out there listening, really, if there's anybody there at all. And, and I voiced that a couple of different times over the years, you know, on a night when you're getting, you're on the road and you're getting hammered by 45 or whatever. And, and there's really no reason for anybody to be listening because it's just been that disastrous of a performance. And every once in a while, I jokingly refer to that. And inevitably, someone would make it known through social media or whatever. Oh, gee, man, we're with you. We're with the Kings. We're one thing or another. It's just the, the relationship between the organization and the fan base is something that's genuinely special. And on that particular evening, anytime you get acknowledgement like that and, you, you know, you look down in the bowl and people are turning waving and cheering and one thing or another, uh, it, again, it, it goes to your heart and it's it's something that you cherish, you relish. Uh, it's part of, of what makes a job satisfying. And so I've been extraordinary, extraordinarily fortunate to and blessed, you know, to have the opportunity. And you just, you appreciate the fact that, you know, there are folks out there that are with you through thick and thin. And that's, that's pretty darn cool. Well, one of the many things that I admire about G man and how committed he is to his craft is he can stand up and acknowledge a crowd while continuing to talk. Cause he's on the air. <laughs> and I'll always pay attention to that on the screen. Like, Oh, G's moving or G's mouth is moving. He's working right now, but he still has to acknowledge the crowd. Battle, and you know, and, and try, you know, and, and who knows what, you know, I was even saying at that point, but it was, <laughs> it was crazy, crazy good. Well, I mean, just add that to the list of amazing moments over the course of this season. We could spend an hour just talking about different guys and their contributions. Don't have time to do that. But I wanted to ask you about De'Aaron Fox specifically and, and kind of a, I mean, a, a two-parter here is one, just his emergence as a bona fide star, especially in the playoffs, um, just showing, okay, I can be that guy winning clutch player of the year and it's uh, first year in existence. But my question, and I've been discussing this a little bit already this off season is, is there another step that De'Aaron has to take or can take? And what is that next step? You know, Mike Brown's talked about like getting to that elite status and having to be that guy every single night type thing. Uh, is What do you see when you watch De'Aaron Fox of that next step, what he has to do? And it might not just be to elevate the Sacramento Kings, but just to elevate himself. There's no question in my mind that he has the skills and the capability that he can take another step or even more. And dedicated athletes who have great success, regardless of the sport, have to have a the work ethic and they have to have a support group that continues to encourage. 
You have to find a ways to motivate yourself because we know it's a grind. And you consider, you know, yes, the playoffs is an, is an amazing experience unto its own, but for him to have to play those last couple of games with uh, an abulsion fracture on his index finger on his shooting hand uh, made it diff more difficult than probably any of us can really begin to comprehend. And I don't think there was any doubt in my mind that it did impact his ball handling skills. And that, of course, impacts his performance. But how cool was it to see him have this coming out party? And a lot of people that I talk with on other side of the country, one of the things that they would first want to talk about was, my God, I had no idea that De'Aaron Fox was this good. Mm -hmm. And and so he had the stage, he had the spotlight, and he took full advantage of it. And I love that about De'Aaron. And I love it that Mike Brown coached him hard. First, that De'Aaron allowed himself to be coached hard. And Mike Brown talked about that a lot. And, and I love Mike Brown because he, you know, in defining roles, he would say, okay, Domas, De'Aaron, they're all-stars. We know that. We know what they can do on the offensive end to create the stats and the numbers but they've got to be better defensively. That's what they're expected to do. But now to take it to the next level, you've got to be better on the defensive end. And I think that's where De'Aaron had his most growth. Now, for his future, in my mind, you have to find ways to sustain that type of performance. And you can probably count on one hand or two as you look back over the last 25 years in the NBA, the players who are capable of finding a way that they – could come as close to giving you 100% for an extended number of minutes on any given night. And we're talking about the Kobe's and the LeBron's and the mm -hmm. Michael Jordan's and, you know, the Magic Johnson's, Larry Bird. You just go down that group. They have to be so mentally tough. They have to be so dedicated that they, you know, do all of the things to protect their body, to try to avoid injury, to find a way to contribute even when you are playing hurt. And I think that's where De'Aaron takes the next step, is to become more consistent in, in being able to set a defensive tone and then display his amazing uh, offensive skills. I'm going to ask you about one more guy. And again, I could ask about every single person and talk about every single member of this Kings team because I genuinely believe they had a roster full of of contributors. But Keegan Murray, I mean, I'm I'm like a proud parent with Keegan, over, <laughs> even though I have no relation to the guy. I mean, just right. watching his elevation, his development, but especially in the playoffs to go from really a non-factor in the first three games where Mike was continuing to to encourage him and the others just, hey, keep shooting. You're taking good shots. They're going to start falling. To go from that to arguably a top three Kings player from games four through seven to where he just got comfortable, established himself, yeah. no less against the defending champion Golden State Warriors who are making it a, a point in their game plan to try and take him away. To see his development over a seven-game series, let alone the entire season, was pretty extraordinary to me. I'm curious from your perspective what, what it was like watching number 13 in his rookie year, being asked to do what rookies are not asked to do. Invaluable experience. Part of the journey in finding success is, is taking those steps. I, and I've gone back a couple of different times to the Rick Adelman era, eight straight years when he was the coach of the Kings and in the playoffs eight consecutive times. But it wasn't until the third year but the Kings found a way to get out of the first round. I think it was Utah the first year. It was maybe Dallas the second year that eliminated them. Maybe it was the Lakers. I'm not sure. Uh, but it was Phoenix that they got by 
to get into the second round for the first time. And that was the third year under Adelman. So it, it is a process and it's not easily achieved as the Kings found out. I mean, as dramatic and as thrilling as that seven game series was with the Warriors, it's disappointing when it comes to an abrupt end. Mm -hmm. But for 29 teams out of the 30, there's going to be an abrupt end that's going to be disappointing. We all know that. For the Kings, Keegan Murray, to get that experience, to learn, and, and everybody tells me, and I don't, I don't know him well. He's, he's, you know, kind of an inward person. He doesn't, we joke about the fact that he doesn't show a lot of emotion. But if you're around him, the smiles are there, and you see the smiles on a regular basis. But he has talked about, you know, thriving in this environment and enjoying his teammates. What a great learning experience for this young man. And for him to get the recognition of a first-team uh, all-rookie, to set an NBA record of the most threes ever made by a rookie in their first season in the, in the NBA, his, his ceiling is so high. I, I know that's a cliche, mm -hmm. but we saw hints of it in those games that you referenced being aggressive, looking for the shot. And constantly, I saw it so many times on the road, shoot-arounds, practice sessions, where the coaching staff constantly and his teammates encouraging, take the shot, don't hesitate. You're a great shooter. I mean, just building him up. And, and when he, within two or three years, I can, I, I can see this kid averaging 25 points a game and I, I, I can see him becoming a quiet leader in his own way. Uh, what a great cornerstone mm. to have. And, and you look at the core group of the Kings, basically are all in mid-20s. I mean, that should seemingly ensure the fact that if they stay healthy and all of that, you add a couple of nice little pieces, this should be a competitive ball club for the next foreseeable uh, future. And I, I love that fact. And I, I, I'm anxious to see this summer, you know, what Monty and Wes are going to do in terms of supplementing and defining some more, you know, the roster and making it even more impressive and deeper than what we experienced this year. This episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is also brought to you by Prize Picks and their incredible $1 million daily Superflex promotion for the NBA playoffs and finals that they have going on right now. Every day of the playoffs and finals, one Prize Pick user will have a chance or will win a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry will be placed after 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and will be uh, randomly selected each day. Whoever placed the entry will be given a six-pick flex with the following payouts. If you Get all six of your picks correct. You win a million dollars. You get five picks correct, 80,000. Four picks correct, 16,000. You can find full details at prizepicks.com slash million. And the way prize picks works, when I talk about picks, you pick two to six players, and if they will go score more or less than their prize picks, uh, projection. So for example, like for the, the Warriors Lakers tonight, it might have uh, Steph Curry over under 30 and a half points, um, Draymond Green over under 10 and a half points, and Clay Thompson over under uh, 15 or rather 20 and a half points. Well, let's say you take the over on all three and all three cash in on those overs. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. And again, you can pick two to six 
players. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And they don't just have it for the NBA, it's for the NFL, all major sports, combat sports, and European sports uh, as well. Go and check that out right now. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. And they offer safe and fast withdrawals. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on to sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Finally, G, I'm so glad you brought up Rick Adelman in his eight straight years because we can't help ourselves here in Sacramento but to compare this team and what they're doing and what they're starting to the run of the late 90s and early 2000s. And people are drawing comparisons of like just similar patterns, players, mm-hmm. connections, things of that nature. These teams are completely unique. The NBA is very different from that era era to this era. But in terms of, like you mentioned, kind of developing into that proverbial playoff team, potential championship contender, from where that started, that run started, to how this season went, how this team started, some would say ahead of schedule regardless, do you see what comparisons do you see or do you see similarities to where maybe this could be the start of another one of those eras of Sacramento basketball? I definitely see those types of similarities, and I'm that's that's part of what fuels me and my passion, and and it's part of that whole revitalization that I mentioned early on. Uh, there are a lot of things that seem to be running in parallel course. Uh, you look at you look back at the Adelman days, and you know first it was Jason Williams who came in with with a flair. It was a reluctant Chris Weber who learned to love Sacramento and the environment, the contributions of Avladi Divac the sharpshooting of a page of Stoyakovich, the energy off the bench of a Bobby Jackson, the defensive prowess of Doug Christie, uh, you know, the, the lumbering, bumbling presence, the physicality of a Scott Pollard. Uh, <laughs> you just go on and on. All of those things came together in such, such a great fashion. And as I, I said earlier, I, I'm really in a state of disbelief that Mike Brown has been able to get this group as far down the road as he has done since last June. Yeah, we're talking about a, a span of, of 10 months, basically, or less. And he came in talking about, you know, the need for soul in the organization, the need to define roles, the need for accountability, the need to have everybody in the organization, the people who market the team, make the front office decisions, the, the ushers, that it's your family, you're all pulling on the same rope. And you have to have that to create the soul, to create success. I see so many things like that happening in a short period of time that remind me of what was it 99 I think was the first year 98 99 with Rick Adelman and I I hopeful that that is the way we see this evolve um it's pretty amazing I mean I stop and you think about yeah keep reminding yourself this team not only won 48 games which was 18 more than they'd won the previous season they won a Pacific Division championship mm-hmm. where everybody in the division made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some really cool things that happened this year. And then, you know, the all-star recognition for Sabonis and for Fox and and then the clutch award to Fox and the rebounding title to Sabonis and Keegan setting the record uh, and Monty McNair being the executive of the year and a unanimous vote for Mike Brown to be coach of the I mean, this was a great season and you just hope that somehow you can find a way to make it better. And from what I've learned of Mike Brown and his staff, that's exactly what they intend to be able to do. I loved in the last couple of days, seeing the video of Mike Brown in the stands over in Athens, Greece, watching Olympiacos 
and Sasha Vashenkov, because I mean, I've heard multiple times Wes Wilcox just raving mm. about this young man's ability and his locker room presence. Now, is he a great defender? That's to be determined. And that may be a little bit of a hang up. But the doors have been open so that he could be added to this roster. And I, I find all of these things really exciting. And, and I'm already starting to get fired up thinking about what it's going to be like when training camp opens late September. Well, we're all going to be battling impatience together. And one of the worst parts of the offseason is not being able to hear G do what he loves to do on a semi-nightly basis. But we're uh, we're lucky we got seven extra games of G-Man this year. And we're, uh, we're, we're greedy now because now we want more than seven. We want a deep, That's deep right. playoff run so we can That's get right. more. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. G, why aren't you calling this next series? Come on, like get, get, right. get back to work. <laughs> I, I appreciate everything that you do. I appreciate you coming on Locked on Kings. This season was so much fun uh, for all of us. And and again, so much of what I enjoy from you is not just how good you are at what you do, but how much you enjoy what you do. And that enjoyment comes <laughs> out in the work that you put together. And even during losing seasons, but especially during a fun ride like this. Next year, there are expectations. So there could be some nerves with that. But we, we have a steadiness in the broadcast department, which is exciting. So thank you, G, for everything. Congratulations on an excellent season on 3000. Uh, and I selfishly can't wait to have you back here on the pod. Thank you so much, uh, Matt. It, it's just, uh, I think I look at, you know, the growth that you've shown in your career and, and the whole lockdown series and one thing or another. And it's, uh, we talk about an evolution, a process, uh, man, you're making great strides as well. Thank you so much. I, this has been a treat. Thank you so much again to the G-Man for joining me here on Locked on Kings. Just such an incredible treat. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And the guests do not end here. I have two more guests coming for you over the next couple of days. Tomorrow, Chris Biederman from the Sacramento Bee uh, did an excellent job all season long covering the Kings. He and I are going to discuss uh, what's next for the Kings and also recap some of the things from this year, really dive into maybe some of the issues of the Kings that they have to address. Uh, and then Kenny Carraway, you know him as the KC and D-Lo and KC. He's going to join me on Friday's episode of Locked on Kings. And we're going to talk about getting greedy a little bit. The Kings, Kings fans getting greedy, wanting more. How do they accomplish more? Uh, he will join me on Friday for that. So two more great guests coming over the next two days. I hope you'll continue to tune in and listen to Locked on Kings. Appreciate your support as always. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode. Until then, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.